So hello and welcome to the St Mungo's podcast. This is episode 19 and this is the first of a two-part series on burns with a Mr Stuart Watson who is a burn surgeon in Glasgow and we had a great interview and there's a lot of incredible information and it didn't neatly divide into a three-part um, it just seemed to, to work better in a two-part, so that each part is slightly longer than, than a typical St Mungo's podcast, but I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think there's a lot of incredible information. So let's just jump right in, and this is Mr Watson just introducing himself. Hi, I'm a burn surgeon at Glasgow Royal Infirmary and at the Children's Hospital at Gla- in Glasgow. I've been working running the unit here with one of my colleagues for 22 years. Um, we've fortunate to have a very close relationship with the ICU team here and also with the ICU at the Children's Hospital. So we have a combination of surgical approach from the plastic surgery team here and excellent critical care. And over the years, we've built up a very skilled multidisciplinary team involving a sort of core group of nurses who stayed with us for a long time, physios, dietitians, psychologists, um, splint makers, and also quite a few patient groups have supported us over the years in a variety of ways. So in a typical way that burn care works, there it's not just one person who, who drives it. There's a whole group of people with different skills who are important for looking after the patients. Fantastic. So we were probably going to do something a little different um, today, if you don't mind. We I was going to take you on shift with me. We were going to kind of bring you to a few different scenarios, if that's okay. Absolutely. Mostly A&E based. So I'm going to bring you on shift and just get your expertise. We'll talk through a few little cases and how you would manage them. And that might help us or inform us how, you know, different tips or pearls that we could use in our management of burns patients, if that's okay. So I was going to start with simple burns. We'll divide it into two, simple burns and major burns, if that's okay. Is that, is that okay? So the first off um, is just, we asked our, our listeners for some questions and we have some pre-hospital listeners. So they were asking, just in terms of simple burns, what are the main initial management points that you think of for them um, prior to hospital? So, for example, the, one of the commonest simple burns would be a domestic scald affecting commonly a, a small child, also adults. And clearly the priority is to remove the person from the scalding agent as quickly as possible to remove clothing and then to apply first aid. And uh, the standard first aid that is safest to use is 20 minutes of application of cool water. And depending on the size of the injury, if you if you feel there's not a reason to urgently rush to hospital, if it's a very small injury, then just on your own, 20 minutes of application of water is, it has been shown in a variety of studies to make a difference to the depth of burn. And it's also probably one of the best treatments for the pain from the injury. Can I ask you, I was probably going to ask you this a wee bit later when we discuss major burns, but in terms of, in terms of larger area burns, is there a burn that's too large to apply that principle of 20 minutes of cooling or is it still something to try and how would you manage it? Say we had someone with say 25% burns, let's say. Is it still a good thing to try and cool that down? I think in that situation, what you're looking to do is to have an initial period of of brief cooling um, for the patient's comfort and to remove the immediate intensity of the heat. So a minute or two of that where somehow you get the person to a source of water 
and get them cooled and and then call for help once you've commenced that process to to a, a brief extent um then it's a matter of using common sense um depends how long ambulance is going to take to arrive but if you have a bigger area like that it's safer to avoid giving the patient hypothermia to use cool cloths on the area and to replenish the cold water or the cool water on the cold cloths um, because if you if you keep someone with a big burn under running water for 20 minutes then they will get hypothermic and that can cause a variety of negative effects there's no exact hard and fast rules and it's quite a challenge this for a person on the scene to decide um, but what you don't want to be doing especially with small children or vulnerable older adults is um, keeping them under running water on the whole of their body for a prolonged period of time and is room temperature cool enough or yes, would you like uh, it a little bit cooler um, ideally you want it slightly cooler than room temperature but room temperature is, is, a, is a perfectly good standard what you don't want to do is put ice or anything like that on the injury because that can actually cause um, tissue damage that's um, as bad as the burn in a different way Okay, so before we get to our first patient, I was wondering, would you mind, um, we'll just do a little refresh on depth of burns. Is, is it still the same old principles apply or any updates there? The, the best way to think of a burn is, is to use a descriptive terminology and uh, a very simple descriptive terminology for the most superficial type of burn is erythema, which you'd see in sunburn and in some scald injuries where the surface of the skin is unbroken, but it's red and it's often very painful and it's inflamed. And that needs treatment in terms of cooling and analgesia. And really in sunburn, you might, if it's very extensive, you might admit the patient to hospital for that, but not usually. But it doesn't count for fluid resuscitation. The next depth would be a superficial partial thickness burn, where, which commonly is also called a superficial burn. The strict terminology is that it would be a superficial partial thickness burn, where the epidermis of the skin is blistered off and what you see is a bright pink red moist inflamed surface and it looks like it's not deep it looks like the skin's alive and healthy and when you press on it it blanches because the circulation to the skin is intact and then beyond that you have a deeper partial thickness burn also known in terms of descriptive terminology as a deep dermal burn where you see varying colors which could be white, orange, red, with fixed staining on the skin. So the key thing in the deeper burns is that you see a fixed staining. And, and those burns are much more serious in terms of the fact that they, they take a long time to heal and sometimes they benefit for surgery. And finally, you have the full thickness burns, which are very usually very straightforward to tell because they have a, a leathery appearance it's dry, it's hard, it's inelastic. Occasionally, there can be difficulties because some flame burns in very big injuries can be white and it can be hard to tell them for normal skin. So that's one thing for people to look out for. But mostly the full thickness burn looks like some form of leather in it and feels like leather. So those are the main categories that we think of in terms of assessing the depth of the burn. 
Excellent. So if you don't mind, we might go through each of those in turn just to talk a little bit about the management of each, if that's okay. So our first patient is is what we presume to be a superficial first degree burn. Is there anything needing done from an emergency point of view? What would be the basic first aid principles and and, and treatments? I think in common with all emergency treatments, if the burn is to the face or neck area, or if there are other circumstances to the injury, such as an electrical injury, um, which could cause any compromise to the airway or the cervical spine, then it's vital to still assess this patient using standard principles of first ensuring that the airway is safe and breathing is safe and the cervical spine is safe. Because there will be incidents where a person has an ostensibly superficial burn around the face or neck or even in other parts of the body that's a relatively small injury where it is part of a component of a much bigger injury. And it's always a key thing not to miss that in terms of the initial assessment of the patient. So we've checked them over. We're happy there's no uh, more serious injury. And we think it's just a very, very simple burn. So say it's maybe both forearms. um, Looks to be just erythema only. Um, what, What would be the basic... Um, treatment principles for these people. So presumably analgesia, um, but any dressings and creams, any anything that's any proven benefit? I think in a, a cornerstone of assessing a burns patient is to assess the history and to identify that the burning agent is what outwardly it seems to be. Because, for example, a person who presents with a superficial scald injury to their limbs that that is just erythema at the outset perhaps if there was some chemical in the material that had burned them you you might find that that was a high risk of causing a problem so it's always important even in a simple injury to get a clear history from the patient about how it happened and especially if it's a child also to get a clear history so that you have a sense of the possibility of non-accidental injury uh, whilst that's not common in children, it is a, a significant incidence and the history is often the key to that. So first thing, having ensured that the patient has is comfortable and having taken in the history, a history of what first aid they have had, if they have had no first aid, you must then apply first aid in terms of cold running water. Um, you would then assess whether the skin was broken or not. And if the skin's unbroken, it's a matter of really reassurance and making sure that there's nothing that can compromise that that process. Um, As a general rule, if the skin is unbroken, we wouldn't dress, but we would reassure the patient. We'd advise them about keeping out of the sun. We'd advise them about drinking plenty of fluids, taking appropriate analgesics. If it was a limb, about elevation and rest and we would advise the patient about what to do if the skin started to come off and the epidermis started to come off and, and, it, and it develop into a deeper wound and, and about returning in that event. Any particular analgesics that have proven benefit over the others in, in terms of simple burns? We would tend to just stick with standard sort of WHO um, analgesic protocols, um, paracetamol, 
mild opiate, ibuprofen would be the standard ones for a, a simple burn. In terms of dressings, anything worth putting on or best to leave them? Just it, It's best to leave them initially, unless they're in a place where there'd be a high level of abrasion. If, the, if it's across a joint, especially a major joint like the hip, where it's inevitable that the person has to walk, then covering it with an of dressing, such as um, a paraffin gauze dressing or a, a silicone-based dressing, might be most comfortable for the patient. But for very, very superficial burns, which are just erythema, exposure is often the, the most simple thing for the patient. If it's somebody's face and they're very painful, then um, the hydrogel dressings can be excellent for alleviating pain. Um, so that is one option. They're, they're relatively more expensive, um, but they are very, very good for alleviating pain. And there's no creams or anything that, that has any proven benefit cosmetically in, in, in healing? The, for, for a very superficial burn, the skin will tend to dry. So it's useful using a simple moisturiser, um, fragrance-free, after a few days to prevent dryness of the skin and to ease comfort. Okay, so our next patient has got a superficial partial thickness. Again, we've we've excluded any other kind of more sinister kind of injury in this case. Um, what what's what's the differences? So, so we notice there's some blistering. The first question I'm going to ask you, which is a, a common one, which keeps coming up, is there a right or a wrong thing to do with blisters? Because people but, people think differently and have read different things. What, by, what's your thoughts? By far the strongest evidence base is in favour of removing blistered skin. So giving the patient adequate analgesia for an adult, um, paracetamol and a mild opiate. For a child, probably a strong opiate. Um, you know, intranasal dimorphine would be a commonly used thing. Um, so as to have the patient comfortable as, as possible for removing the blistered skin would be a, a, our general approach to that. And, and in most services, that's the standard of care. The problem about leaving blistered skin is, is even though the blister is intact at the time, for example, as, as a day or two goes by, it either becomes very large and uncomfortable or it actually bursts and then you have dead skin on the surface of the wound, which is a breeding ground for infection. So it's better to get rid of all the blistered skin if you reasonably can so as to minimise the risk of infection. That's the main thing. In terms of healing, does it make a difference? Like if you took the exact same wound, you de-riffed one, didn't de-riff the other, would they heal? The, the only issue there is if, if, you have a, if you're unlucky enough to get an infection, that will interfere with healing. But, yeah. uh, but there's no difference in healing whether Out you remove the infection. No. Okay. In terms of dressings, anything different for, for superficial partial thickness? I think the key thing in superficial partial thickness burns, as far as dressings is concerned, is to in the larger injuries to think about how you manage the possibility of infection, particularly in a child, because there is a small but significant risk of, of, of life-threatening infection, even for small burns in children. So it would be best in a child with a small superficial partial thickness burn to use a dressing which bears some antibiotic or antiseptic in it. And there's a whole range of possibilities. We use a silver-based dressing called Ergotyl SSD in children. Um, it's common also to use topical antibiotics such as iodine, to use um, 
mupiracin, which is a topical anti-staphylococcal antibiotic. Um, so that would be an important aspect of managing your typical superficial burn in most children and bigger areas in adults will also benefit from some form of topical antiseptic. If it's on the perineal area or around the anus, then using um, silver-based creams such as flamazine is very useful. But we don't tend to use them in other sites because they are notorious for making the burn look deeper than it actually is. And that, that can then lead the patient into unnecessary complications of treatment that, that are otherwise avoidable by using antiseptics that don't change it. So perineal burns and, and perianal burns, um, flamazine cream is very useful for. Pain relief principles the same? Yes, and, and again, the, the, the benefit of making sure that the patient has the full 20 minutes of first aid cooling is, is very significant in a superficial partial thickness burn. And again, on the face, if you have a superficial partial thickness burn, if the pa patient still has severe pain, then using a hydrogel is, is well worth considering um, as, as a means of relieving that severe pain from the face. Um, also, just to give you a funny anecdote, we had a lady who had uh, a very extensive superficial facial burn who, who managed to cool her face by using a bucket of water with a snorkel. <laughs> and and it was so intensely painful that, that that was the thing that she found that she that she managed to to actually relieve it with um so that does give you an idea of of the of the value of um water-based cooling for analgesia and comfort after superficial partial thickness burn injuries Possibly not something to tell other people to do widely, but <laughs> do you know how long she did that for? <laughs> it, it was it was several hours. You know, she 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 managed to maintain it for taking it in and out for several hours. Okay, in terms of follow up, so we didn't mention it um, for the for the first degree burn, but presumably d doesn't require follow up if it's if it's yeah. just erythema only. But now for the superficial partial thickness, what would be if you were seeing that patient? Say it was a. 1% burn on a forearm, say. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't uh, crossing a joint line. Um, what, what would be your follow-up? Would you, would you like that scene again? And okay. would it be GP versus... The, the issue, issue for the patient is that the first 48 hours after the injury, the burn will produce a lot of exudate. So, so generally speaking, in that period, we want to use a, a dressing which allows exudate to come out and, it, and for the exudate to be gathered in some gauze. So you're looking at a first dressing which is fairly soon after the injury to change that because that dressing will then get quite soaked. Um, so depending on the size of the injury, many of those will be suitable to be done with practice nurse at 24 to 48 hours after injury. Um, area, you know, Reasons to come back to the hospital will be somewhat bigger injuries that are more than 1% total body surface area. Most things in a child that are any sort of significant size, most things in an elderly, vulnerable person, um, those are the type of patients that you'd automatically bring, bring back to a, a dressing clinic for a, an experienced A&E nurse or a specialist burns nurse to, to see. Um, so your first dressing, you're looking at 24 to 48 hours in an appropriate scenario, depending on the size of the injury. And the things that you're looking for on that first meeting would be change of dressing, evidence of infection, and I guess just to ensure that it, ha it the depth hasn't increased or, or, or you've not missed a yeah, kind absolutely. of deeper... And, and sometimes there's no question that old, 
all burn injuries have a have a great capacity to change in the first five days or so in terms of both their depth particularly but also the extent as well sometimes you find the areas which have just been erythema initially will blister later uh, an injury that's classic for that is a, a bath scald in an elderly person that gets stuck in a not terribly hot bath for a while often they become much deeper as time goes by uh, presumably because the initial damage has been quite slow to occur so yeah, and what you say about infection is is absolutely correct. And and at the second visit for minor burns, you're then thinking, do I take a wound swab from this if it doesn't look quite right? And do I then see the patient again in two to three days if if we've got a, a concern? Um, you don't generally get overt infection after one to two days, but you might see one or two signs and get a hint that something's not quite right. I don't think we'd recommend swabbing all minor burns for microbiology. I think that's a huge resource implication and it and it doesn't change treatment. But at a review visit, if, if something looks not quite right, then a wound swab is quite important. Also, you know, if, if you have a burn to the hand in particular, um, to the face, th- those are areas where even if it was minor, you'd have a low threshold for referring on for specialist treatment. Sorry, I'm going to backtrack a little bit if you don't mind. One thing that I've often found trouble with is dressings. There seems to be too many varieties, too many options. And I don't know, maybe we in in emergency, we, you know, we we like it simpler than that. So is there a simpler way to think about dressings and not overcomplicate it so much? So so now thinking about the the kind of superficial to partial thickness burns. So in a superficial partial thickness burn in an adult, the, the initial dressing could be I think it's very reasonable to do what we do in our service which is use very inexpensive straightforward gel in it as your primary dressing and then cover that with absorbent gauze and hold it in place with a bandage and that's an inexpensive and straightforward option in children it has to be slightly different because you want to use an antibiotic or antiseptic on the surface to minimize the risk of toxic shock and you could use something like uh, silver impregnated dressing such as Ergotul SSD or use Gelinet or silicone based such as me- Mepitel non-adhesive dressing with some antibiotic ointment such as Mupiracin underneath that and again covered with gauze and a bandage. Okay, so for our listeners who maybe run kind of soft tissue clinics or follow-up clinics or dressings clinics, um, what, what would be the difference when you see the these patients back? Are there any changes or alterations to the, the bandaging or dressings? Yes, absolutely. And this is where some of the more sophisticated dressings come in because, if, you, for example, hydrocolloid-type dressings have a very low adherence to the wound and they create a moist wound healing environment which might optimise the speed of healing. So whereas that's not usually suitable initially because of all the exudate, at the first or second follow-up dressing change, an experienced nurse will often change to a more specialised membrane-type dressing that creates a, a good wound healing environment and is less painful for dressing change for the patient. The problem with the mesh dressings such as Gelinet is they, they do stick to the wound more and, and you don't necessarily get the best environment for healing so after a couple of days, once the exudate's gone, it's it's reasonable to use a more sophisticated dressing, and there are many different types um, that, that skilled nurses will will have available. 
Uh, one example being a hydrocolloid dressing for a small burn. In terms of follow-up, can we try and keep it very, very simple um, in terms of who should go to, say, a more specialised burns um, um, practitioner? Um, for example, you mentioned some of the special circumstances that we know, so face, joints. Yeah. Um, can, can you summarise who, who would be suitable to come back to, say, an emergency department dressing clinic or a GP, and who should maybe go to a more specialised provider? So... An adult with a, a burn of the any part of the body that doesn't involve a joint, where the burn is generally all all or mainly superficial, partial thickness, um, and maybe less than about two percent, sometimes even significantly bigger than that. If you have a, a, a sort of experienced service, that that patient could be followed up um, in the local accident department or with their local practice nurse for the smaller burns. Um, the patients that we tend to anticipate seeing in a, in a referral centre would be those with involvement of the joint, with significant involvement of the face or the perineum, the buttock area, um, involvement of the feet because they tend to be notorious for uh, infections and, and in vulnerable adults they they also commonly have um, issues with with healing. So basically any complicated site burn um, should be considered for a referral if it's of any significant size. Okay, in terms of I'll call them secondary degree burns, superficial and deep partial thickness burns. Um, in those special um, circumstance, places, so, so joints, do they tend to cause problems? Is it always full thickness that cause problems in those areas or can these uh, also cause problems? With partial thickness burns, uh, what typically in the past was caused second degree and, and we would call superficial or deep partial thickness. The, the problem is that the, the, if they're beside a joint that can restrict movement during healing and impede function, and also after healing, if any scarring develops, you can get a contracture which interferes with function. And so it's very important that they are dressed with the patient with a joint in an extended position. And also that if there's any doubt, a physiotherapist is involved in their management to assess um, their range of movement and to support them in doing exercises to optimise range of movement. Then if the burn is slow to heal, it's also important that a burn surgeon's involved in assessing the patient to determine if there's any benefit to a skin graft in the first two weeks. Um, there's, a, there's a wealth of literature now which shows that if your burn takes longer than three weeks to heal, you have a risk of a very thick, um, troublesome scar called a hypertrophic scar. So if, if a burn is likely to take longer than three weeks to heal, it's best to get them assessed for the possibility of burn surgery, particularly if it's close to a joint. Okay, so let's go to a deep partial thickness burn. Any big differences um, here in, in terms of management? So the first thing is the diagnosis, and, and the, the classic appearance of the deep partial thickness burn is one where all, all the epithelium has come off and, and you see a surface which has fixed staining on it when you you just press it with a gloved finger and and there's a, a pattern of, of spots or lines on it that that doesn't blanch and 
the key thing really is is to consider is this area going to be big enough that it will take more than three weeks to heal because it's a, a deeper injury and you have a patch of if what's effectively a part of the skin is dead there. So if it's much more than a f- couple of centimetres in diameter in an adult and if it's of any size in a child, it's um, best to consider early referral for consideration of whether surgery is appropriate or not. Because if you get prolonged healing, then you do get more scarring and the potential for an impaired functional or aesthetic result afterwards. And how would you go about making that decision about when would be the right time to to, to do? I would say as a general rule, if you have an area that's bigger than 1% total body surface area that looks suspicious of a deeper burn, refer them immediately. Um, If it's tiny, then maybe look after them for 10 days. And if it's not progressing, refer them. If it's somewhere in between that, you'd have to kind of use your judgment um, as to what what the time that you referred them would be. But I think a useful thing for people to have in their minds is this concept that you ideally want all burns of any significance to be healed by three weeks um, to prevent hypertrophic scarring and, and ensure a good result. So if people have that in their minds, that that's a useful overall guide and, and most people can then sort of apply their common sense as the days go by if they're reassessing this wound so an important approach that we have is and, and i'm sure experienced doctors and nurses working in accident emergency totally share this is, is just reassessment of the of the wound every two to three days and, and then you're in the position where you can change your judgment would the same principles apply for the basic first aid and treatment, so analgesia, dressings and, and cooling? Would they be the similar in, yes, for the depth of burn? Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Okay, so our next patient is someone who um, we believe has full thickness burns. Um, so again, just thinking about the basic principles, um, what would be the differences in terms of, of management of this type of patient? I think that it's important with a full thickness burn to start thinking about whether it could be more complex. And so, for example, if it's on the limb, you examine the limb distal to the injury to make sure there's not impairment of neuromuscular or vascular function there. If it's on the face or neck, to ensure that there's not an impairment of the airway. Because full thickness burns can be fourth degree as well. They can involve deeper structures. And if you think of a full thickness burn as a bit of dead skin, which is dehydrated and dry and tight, it can also constrict and act as a tourniquet, which can impair the function of all sorts of structures underneath. So that's the first thing I would say about assessment. In terms of cleaning, dressings and management, it's similar to superficial burns. Often they're much less painful acutely once they've occurred than a superficial burn is. Um, and I think if there's burners of any significant size, you need to have a discussion with the patient along the lines of it's probable that you will heal faster if you have an operation for this. And do you want to be referred for surgery early? You know, you get occasional instances where a patient might have reasons that they want to just try and have a very small full thickness burn dressed for a while and see what happens. And that's a a decision that the treating doctor and the patient can make together. Um, but most full thickness burns 
will benefit hugely in terms of the time scale of the patient's recovery, the long-term outcome, um, the risk of infection with early surgery. Any particular size that you would say is is more appropriate for surgery? I think if if you have a full thickness burn that's more than a few centimetres in diameter, it's going to take a long, long time for that to heal. And you, you, you're taking the patient on then for a prolonged course of treatment to get them healed up. Um, so as a, I think the, that's something that the patient then has to be aware of. So I would say if it's more than two or three centimetres in diameter in an adult and if it's any sort of size in a child... Also in a child, you can probably understand full thickness burns aren't that common. So there's a whole range of other issues in the child that you need to start thinking about. It's commoner or a a commoner presentation of non-accidental injury in a child will be a small full thickness burn of one kind or another. So you you want to be looking into the history very carefully in a child with a small full thickness burn, considering again specialist referral from that point of view. So most of the patients with full thickness burns will be going for specialist treatment. But in adults particularly, you can have a discussion with a patient about whether that's not something they're keen on because it would mean surgery. If it's a very small one, less than a few centimetres, do they want to see what happens over a period of a few weeks? Because they'll still get a scar even if they have a skin graft. And I was going to ask you, this might be a silly question, but obviously we don't see patients back. So once they leave, you know, we don't really know what happens. So what generally does happen, say, for a full thickness burn that you don't operate on? Does it just become scar tissue? What's the general healing process or what does it look like in the end? So what happens, for example, what we would do, say a person's had a a stroke or a heart attack and sustained a... 3% 3% full thickness burn to the side of their back falling against a radiator and they're not fit for anaesthesia for surgery. What you do is you dress that for a few weeks with a dressing that would soften the dead skin off. Because the full thickness burn is basically just a big patch of dead skin. And over a period of several weeks, the dead skin will lift off and it will leave an area of equivalent size of granulation tissue underneath it. During that period, that person is vulnerable to getting quite a nasty infection because you have a combination of a large open wound and a big patch of dead tissue. So the dead tissue is a potent breeding ground for bacteria and then underneath it you have an open wound. So until the dead skin's lifted off and you've got granulation tissue underneath, the person is vulnerable to getting quite a severe infection potentially. Then once the the wound is debrided in that way, desluffed, the dead skins come off, um, the wound will then gradually heal from the sides by contraction. Um, so you, you have a very high risk if it involves a joint of getting a very severe contraction and, and of, of getting impaired function. Also, you tend to get a very thick hypertrophic scar as well because the delayed healing stimulates the production of collagen protein in the scar to a very excessive degree in most patients and you tend to get a big thick lumpy scar as well. So 
I, I go to work in Africa quite a bit and, and you see people there who've had delayed treatment of burns and they have these huge thick scars and terrible distortion of their limbs and their necks and things after burn contractures from, from not having skin grafting. I mean, third degree burns or, or full thickness burns, they, they tend to all be referred, do they? I mean, we would generally refer any size yes, to you for, for us. I, I think the only deeper burns that accident department treat are, are the, the deep partial thickness burns. And, and then it's usually with, with a lot of discussion with the patients. And it's very rare these days that we find that, that patients um, are inappropriately managed. So many, many thanks to Mr. Stuart Watson for his time. I thought that was a really brilliant interview. So many great pearls of wisdom that I think we can really apply to our practice. Um, It was very hard to come up with just a few take-home points, but I'll try to do that shortly. But I just wanted to remind you that in our show notes at stmungos-ed.com, I've condensed all the points from this um, interview, uh, so there's a lot more great information there. But in terms of just a few take-home points, these were mine. Um, Number one, in terms of pre-hospital management, if there's no immediate urgency to get to hospital, then consider 20 minutes of cool running water and for larger burns, brief cooling of one to two minutes. Number two, that old chestnut of whether to remove blisters or not, it would seem that removing blisters is probably the right thing to do for two reasons, really. Um, They can get bigger and get more uncomfortable and they can also burst and the the dead skin can be a breeding ground for infection. So Mr. Watson would suggest that you give some analgesia and de-roof the burns and then dress them appropriately. Number three, children have a higher risk of life-threatening infection and that can even come from smaller burns. So when you're thinking about dressings for children, they tend to have some form of antibiotic element to the dressing, whereas adults can tend to get away with just some gelinette and gauze in the first instance and then consider some fancier dressings after a couple of days. Number four, when thinking about surgery for deep partial thickness and full thickness burns, the gold standard is really whether we think the burn will likely heal within three weeks, because after that time there's a higher risk of hypertrophic scarring. So larger wounds, um, certainly refer to surgery immediately, Um, but if you're in a place where you can consider keeping an eye on them, you could do so if they're small, for up to about 10 days and if you don't think they're healing satisfactorily then you could refer to a burn surgeon then and number five remember that burns can be fourth degree as well we often think of first to third um, but fourth degree means damage to even deeper tissues and that can occur because of the burn extending deep or it can be um, also the constriction of dead tissue from above so remember neurovascular supply in the limbs and also airway damage in burns around the the neck and the face. So many, many thanks for listening, and please don't forget the show notes for more information and and a summary of all the amazing learning points. Um, Our next episode will actually be in three weeks' time, because the Simongos podcast is actually moving from a fortnightly episode to slightly less frequent, and that's due to a change in my circumstance where I can no longer commit Um, to producing this content so frequently as I'm actually dropping to part-time and I'll be explaining my reasons for that shortly because it may also impact on your learning for the future. So many, many thanks again to Mr. Watson for his time and you'll be hearing more from him soon. Many, many thanks to you for listening and take care.